Welcome to the Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer Orlando. Matt Buff, your host, and we have a very special presentation for you tonight. You are going to hear from families that have been victimized by hospital visits for their other family members. You're going to be hearing from frontline doctors, medical professionals, and an attorney all on this show tonight. Ron Perry is joining me right now. Ron, great to have you on this special. Hey, it's fantastic to be on. I mean, there are some things we're going to be talking about that are very painful, um, but hopefully uh, the discussion that we have today will help people and save lives. Yes, that is the goal. Get answers out there, information out there, and save lives. Because that's not the goal in some areas. And we got to make it the goal. Let's start right now with our first set of guests. Okay. Lori Bontel on the Buff Show. Great to have you, Lori. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Share this story. And your brother, Stan McAlonis, is on with us too. Stan, how you doing? Hi. Thank you. Yes. And I have the attorney for your family, Beth Parlota, is on the show with us as well. Beth, how are you today? Thank you for having me. Hi, Matt. No, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. And we're going to start the show right here with these guys, Lori and Stan. We had a tragedy in Ohio, and that's where we're going to start tonight's Buff Show. Lori, take it away. Okay, so on December 11th, um, my sister called me, and she was in an ER facility um, having some trouble breathing. Uh, So the uh, facility did not test her for COVID. Immediately, they labeled her as COVID. She suspected she had, um, uh, she was a nurse, so she suspected she had an infection going on. And um, and she also has a uh, blood clotting disorder. So she wanted to ch- get a CT to check her lungs. So, um, but the hospital labeled her as a COVID patient with any for no, not even testing her for it. So they immediately went into their CDC uh, protocols. She asked for antibiotic. They would not give her an antibiotic because they told her it was viral, even though they didn't test to prove that it was not bacterial. And um, they did not do the CT scan that she had requested. And um, they had promised to move her to another facility because this facility was full. So they couldn't treat her properly. They just stuck her in a room basically and gave her some oxygen. And uh, she deteriorated pretty quickly. She was a type one diabetic and they didn't even really give her food. She had to have her friend come bring her some. Um, so Stan and I got involved and, and we called Dr. Uphughes, his American frontline doctor to help us try to get Karen out of the hospital right away. Um, and he'll be joining us uh, later in this program too. So, um, and I'll let him explain, you know, the later uh, details. Um, but basically, um, Stan and I went to Ohio and we tried to deal with the hospital. Um, and they just, they don't do anything except for the CDC protocols. So, and Beth, uh, we immediately, even while we were at the airport, we called Ralph Larego's office and Beth is his partner. And we immediately um, knew to get them involved as they've been helping families all across the country to get a court order to um, provide life-saving treatments that have been proven to work. Um, So that's what we did. And I don't know if she'd like to jump in, you know, at this point, but that's, um, unfortunately, they denied our our case and and my sister did die on January 1st. Stan, how old was your sister, Karen, at this time? 56. 
56 years old. What was the process like for you and Lori? So we kind of we kind of tag teamed the the process. Lori handled the medical side, and she was a medical surrogate for my sister in the hospital. And then I handled the legal side with Beth and and Ralph. Um, you know, trying trying to because when you get into these COVID protocols, um, you know, you you lose your right to choose. You lose your right, um, you, you know, your right to try, uh, and you lose all of your patients' rights. So it doesn't matter if you want an aspirin or you or you want you want a CT scan, it doesn't matter, they don't allow it. Once you're in what I call the COVID bubble, which is which is the protocol. So we we it was it was painful from start to finish. You know, the doctors and administration and hospital from, from start to finish were arrogant, condescending, and um, unprofessional, frankly. Um, and, and basically just discounted everything you said is, hey, you're not medical, where did you go to medical school? You can't even, you know, you don't even have a right to, to ask for anything. So, um, you know, that part of it was disturbing and, and just working with Ralph and, and uh, Beth, just going through the, the right to try, the right, you know, what, what happens to patients' rights when you're in this, this COVID protocol. It's, it's, it's very disturbing. It's just troubling for everybody, um, you know, every citizen in the United States. It's almost as if you become, um, you, you know, you go into a different, a different situation as far as your civil rights goes. Like you lose them all. What at what point did they do the COVID test? Because they they put they it on the protocol. They never they did. Didn't. They never did one. And and I'm I've talked with families all across the country now at this point because uh, we we were also dealing with a rescue team that actually rescues patients from the hospitals. And people will go in for UTIs for a broken hip, and they're labeled COVID, and you cannot get out of that once and once they label you for COVID. There's no um, changing what they'll do. I mean, I, I asked for specifically like Stan saying you lose your individual rights with my sister being a diabetic. Um, I was dealing with Dr. Uphuse and Dr. Mueller who would advise me methylprednisone was the superior steroid for the, her to, to be on. It does not raise the blood sugar like the dexamethasone does. They had her on a baby dose, like six milligrams of, of, of dexamethasone, uh, de, But um, anyway, like, so they wouldn't account for her individual needs with the blood clotting disorder. I asked for heparin. They said, no, you know, Levinox was all they'd give her. And again, it was a baby dose for something they would give anybody um, in the hospital, not for somebody who does have a, a, you know, is prone to developing clots. So they just, um, it was very cold. I mean, I felt like, you know, they are just like robotic at this point. And what I also find that's interesting and, and same with other families across the country, maybe Beth can can attest to this, too, is most of these doctors, all the doctors in this hospital we dealt with were only one to two years out of med school. So they are not going to question anything and they just follow orders, period. I mean, they, they just would not not you know listen to anything. And I'll just add, I'll just add that they ignore everything else going on with you from a medical perspective once you're in the protocol, right? So diabetes not being treated, bacterial infection not being treated, um, you know, anything else you have, high blood pressure not being treated, cholesterol not being treated, any comorbidities, they don't care. It's almost like they have the attitude, you're going to die anyway. So, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. And, and the, the most troubling thing for me, and you asked this of me, you know, what, what was it like? The troubling thing for me was that their protocols don't work. They rush you on a ventilator and the morbidity rate is they all die, right? It's 10% or worse. Beth will talk to it. 
Um, so if that's such a great protocol, why does everybody die when they get on? And if, if other alternative pro protocols are so bad, how, how can it be worse? No, that's a, that's a good question. Beth Par, Parlota, what, what kind of attorney, uh, what kind of law do you guys practice? Well, I've been an attorney for 30 years, and this is nothing I've ever practiced before. <laughs> uh, I was a litigator. Uh, Ralph Larigo has, has his law firm. Um, he also was a litigator. And what's happened is, I just must say, um, I'm a conservative. Ralph is a conservative. Uh, he's been practicing since, uh, I think, 30-something years or 40-something years, a lot longer than I have. But both of us have had a lot of experience in the court system. We've never seen anything like it, but we're two conservatives. We're, we're conservatives, and we see what's going on around the country. Um, and we had, we feel like we have to do something. Uh, we have to take a stand against really criminal. What's going on in our hospitals across the country is criminal. There's nothing else that I can say about it. As Stan and Lori said, the protocols do not work. They've been doing these protocols now for two years. And if they were, we would not have 950,000 deaths across the United States. We are the richest country in the world, yet we have the most COVID deaths. Any logical person would just sit and think about that. It doesn't make any sense that we have poor countries with more, uh, with a larger population, yet they have less COVID deaths than we do. So it's criminal what's going on in our hospitals. The protocol is not working. They give you a standard protocol of remdesivir, steroid, antibiotic. They give every patient the same, just like Stan said. Lori needed special needs because of her, um, you know, her medical needs and her medical issues. And they don't take that into account. It's a, a one-size-fits-all approach uh, in COVID right now. And we're just fighting uh, hospitals across the country to, to fight for a true protocol that will work for that particular patient. And how many cases do you have like Karen's here on the docket? Uh, well, we've done, uh, since this has started, uh, it hasn't even been a year yet. I've been doing this for about seven months. Uh, Ralph, uh, a few months prior to, to me joining with him. And we've done well over 200 cases that we've litigated. And what can you tell us about the hospital, the case, how things are progressing? Can you tell us anything about that? Um, well, I, I could tell you that we won a lot more cases early on than we do now. Hospitals are fighting us now. They're fighting hard. What they do is, what, what we would do is we bring what's called an emergency complaint for declaratory judgment and emergency medical treatment. That, that's what we do. We bring it into state court because that's the quickest way to get these cases heard. We try and get them, we work on them, I work on them around the clock. We try and get them filed within a few days and get a hearing within 12 to 70, or excuse me, 24 to 72 hours. That's the goal because every minute counts when a patient is on a ventilator. And if we're getting the, cases prior to be invented, like when I first talked to Lori, uh, you want to be able to get this into court before they actually do put the patient on the ventilator because as Stan um, had indicated, it is true. It's under 10% are getting off the vents. You can Google that statistic. They won't tell you that. Uh, nobody wants wants to even acknowledge that realization, but it is under 10%. When we get the doctors on the stand and cross-examine them, um, that's pretty much what's coming out. And so the hospitals are fighting now. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. Uh, they're, they're, they're bringing in, uh, instead of in-house counsel, they're now hiring outside counsel. We're getting the big firms in New York City and Chicago, and, and they're fighting us. And so what happens is when they fight, when they file, uh, you know, opposition papers, and then they file motions, and then they file motions to, to uh, preclude some of our evidence, 
that takes time. So now a, a hearing that should have only been heard within 24 hours, maybe now takes three to four days. And, and generally the majority of our patients, unfortunately die during this process. Ron, I feel this is happening all over the country. What's happened to Stan and Lori here? Beth, thank you for fighting for them. We're going to get back to you with more legal aspects of this. Ron, do you have anything you would like to ask their attorney? Yeah. Um, how much of an impact on the decision-making of the hospitals do you think that the money that the federal government pays to the hospitals has on their decision-making? Yep. You got it, Ron. That's all we can come up with. Uh, Ralph and I, we don't understand why the hospitals are fighting so much because we're not telling them not to do their protocol. We're not coming in until their protocol has been done. We come into the cases and say, you've done your protocol. It hasn't worked. Let's try something different. Yeah. So we keep coming back to the same thing. It's about it's all about money. They get they get a, a certain amount of money. I believe it's thirty nine thousand dollars for every time they put a patient on a vent. And then they get money for every patient who dies in the hospital for COVID. There's no incentive to get them off. There's no, no incentive I, to, to cure them of COVID. You, you can cure COVID pneumonia, get the right steroid at the right dosage, get the right antiviral to attack the inflammation in the lungs. The doctors will speak to that. They can do it. The FLCCC doctors have had yeah. success. Hundreds of thousands of patients they've kept out of the hospitals. Um, I was just down in D.C. last weekend when the FLCCC doctors testified um, in, in the Senate. And then they had the Stop the Mandate rally. And I was there and, and I was talking with all of the doctors. And Dr. Corey had said, you know, it's criminal. Uh, it, it's crimes against humanity, what's going on in this country. And I believe it was Dr. Uh, McCullough may have said this statement that the worst place to go for a COVID patient right now, unfortunately, is a U.S. hospital. It is scary. Okay. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, Dr. Um, Dr. Michael Uphughes, American's frontline doctor, was mentioned a couple times. Let's bring him in right now. Dr. Uphughes, from what you just heard from Lori, and you've been working with Lori and Stan on this, and they called you, they said. They called you when it was early treatment time. What kind of advice did you give, and do you feel the hospital didn't listen to you? Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, so initially we we want to go with a bare minimum of at least getting uh, getting care and some ivermectin. And of course, the hospital would not administer the drug. And you know, my experience with the hospital is very similar to what Stan and, and Lori are telling you. The amount of arrogance and hubris, really, um, that I have received from my colleagues, my own colleagues, trying to even discuss the matter is like nothing I've ever seen in my career, which is almost 30 years now. Um, especially being you know, a, a board certified family medicine coming in to discuss this with some colleagues that, you know, of course these are critical care doctors, some are um, infectious disease type doctors. And I have a pretty good time talking to these folks, quite frankly, because I worked on an Indian reservation for about 20 years. So immediately in this case, the hospital administrator and the other doctors in the case, of course, will try to discredit me. You know, oh, is this doctor from a reservation? Well, first of all, that's passe. I'm already done with that part of my career. I'm in private practice. But what I found amusing is when you press doctors like that, um, they have no idea what it's like to practice in an austere environment like that in a 12-bed hospital where we were doing not just outpatient inpatient, but nursing home, 
we were doing critical care of our own, intubating people, putting them on portable ventilators, stabilizing them until we could get a fixed wing plane to come in and evacuate these people. We were doing multiple trauma cases, gunshots, knifings, our own C-sections, and our own appendectomies. I don't think any doctor that I talk to has been through that kind of experience. So quite frankly, they, they amuse me. Uh, except in this case, it's not so amusing because they should know the pathophysiology of this disease now. We're not two months into this pandemic. We're two years into it. And to suggest that all we have right now is intubation, a homeopathic dose of dexamethasone, and remdesivir, which, by the way, uh, has a 3% chance in causing death, not saving somebody, 3% chance of causing death, and 20% chance of causing renal failure, I think we can do better than that at this point. Dr. Corey, Dr. Merrick, uh, Dr. McCullough, all of us have, we all know each other, we're all in the same circles, but this has been well-researched at this point. You don't have to dig too much to find the, the articles and research papers that will substantiate the efficacy of these drugs, but it's simply being suppressed, silenced, and we are being maligned, maligned for saving lives. And that's the thing about this. We have nothing to gain from this. We're not, this isn't about money at all. Most of the cases that I take on, especially if they're hospitalized, you know, cases where they want me to get involved with hospitalized patients, I don't charge anything. It's not about that. It's about saving lives. And I thought my colleagues would follow suit. After all, we took the Hippocratic Oath. But that's obviously what's not going on in this country anymore. And that's why I see it the same way. This is criminal what's going on. Nothing short of criminal. Money and greed seems to be leading the way here instead of that oath that you took. Dr. Uphuse, you have over 20 years of practice experience. You do referrals all the time. You've done them all the time in your career. Have you ever felt this amount of blowback in your entire medical career? It's never happened. You know, the conversations we've had have been unprecedented with not only colleagues, but pharmacists. You can imagine. Everybody's heard about these stories, too. You call any of the large chains now and try to get them try to get people prescribed hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or fluvoxamine. Um, and they simply refuse to dispense the medication. They will not fill it. And they give you a variety of lame excuses that are nothing more than lies. They say things like, our board is prohibiting us from doing this. It's a lie. It's a patent lie. Um, uh, I don't feel comfortable giving this medication. Well, it's not about your comfort. It's about the patient's comfort. And by the way, you're practicing medicine without a license. If you're, if you're the one that's uncomfortable, you're not prescribing, I am. And the other thing is the CDC that makes this crazy protocol right now um, is completely inadequate. What doctors don't realize, they gave away their power a long time ago when they all wanted employed positions through these large hospital organizations. I don't answer to the CDC, they answer to me. They're there to serve me. I don't serve them. I don't serve the NIH. I don't serve the WHO. They can do whatever they want, but they're actually there to serve me. And doctors need to stand up and realize they are there to serve us. We're not servants of them. No, that's an excellent point. Um, Ron um, has a question for you, Dr. Uphuse. Yeah, I mean, ivermectin. Obviously, Joe Rogan now, you undoubtedly heard the controversy because ivermectin was part of his protocol. Um I've worked closely with a variety of folks since my son got COVID back about, uh, well, over the summer. And uh, as a result, I've spent a lot of time researching this and working with protocol very similar to what uh, you had uh, prescribed. We've had about 60 people uh, use that protocol, all successfully recovered. Um, 
Ivermectin is something that has really intrigued me because India, many of the states in India use Ivermectin. I want to share something for our listeners. Um, Uttar Pradesh is a state in India that has a population of 240 million, about two thirds the size of the United States of America. 4.9% of the people were fully vaccinated on August 5th of this past year. Let me give you the number of daily cases in America on August 5th in this past year. 127,108 cases, 574 daily deaths. In Uttar Pradesh, 26 daily cases, three daily deaths. Okay, and so, uh, and they've been quite effective there and they have uh, other states with uh, ivermectin. They have a couple of states that actually uh, have used uh, the vaccines and their problem has been much, much greater in terms of number of cases, number of deaths. So I'm interested, what are you saying in your practice with the use of ivermectin? What happens when you use that or hydroxychloroquine? Yeah, so in the last uh, year, I've treated over 5,000 patients uh, myself. And so I've actually had to hire a couple of other doctors because the volume became so great. Um, I go back in you know, all the way to the summer of 2020, there was a study done in Argentina by the name of uh, a doctor by the name of Hector Carvalho. It was a very interesting study, and he used ivermectin. He was giving ivermectin weekly to a group of healthcare practitioners. Now, all these healthcare practitioners worked at the exact same facilities. So, 788 of these people received the ivermectin, and 467, about half, did not. The half that did not get ivermectin, 58% of those folks developed COVID. The 788 that received just weekly ivermectin, zero cases of COVID. So if that doesn't get people's attention just in terms of prophylaxis, I don't know what will. And that's why, you know, my colleagues have access to this exact same information. They're simply not reading. And if they are reading, then they're ignoring the efficacy of these studies, because this is one of now if we're talking in terms of ivermectin, at least 76 studies and 32 of those are randomized controlled trials. So I'm seeing the exact same thing you're talking about. Um, I, I frequently get calls from people who they simply don't want to go to the hospital. I had a nurse not long ago from Billings, Montana, who went to one of the large organizations there. She received oxygen. She was on five liters, did not want to go into the hospital because she was afraid of what would happen because they were going to follow the exact same protocol that you have talked about earlier. I put her on a 10-drug regimen. Now, it seems like overkill, but I used some of the iMask and iMath protocols. But I used 10 drugs. This was on a Friday, which is not a good day to call a doc uh, with a COVID problem. Typically, you can't get the pharmacies to prescribe the appropriate medications. In this case, she called early enough in the day. I got her 10-drug regimen. By Monday, she was off the oxygen. Now she's back working. So those are my experiences. And again, you say anecdotal. I don't care about that. It's just like being on the reservation, once again. We don't care if whatever works for a patient is anecdotal or not. If it's going to work for the patient, we did it. We didn't say, what's the latest CDC protocol, NIH protocol? What will the H and, you know, WHO think of this? We don't care. All we care about is saving people's lives, making sure they're healthy, and preventing illness. That's what we're here for. That's what doctors do. That's what I thought they did up until this pandemic. And now we're seeing a very different you know, swinging the pendulum 
with the ethics of DACs. To me, what they're doing here is totally unethical. How would someone get that eye mask protocol that you mentioned, or one of the the a protocol along the lines of what you used? So the way to get a get a hold of those protocols would be to contact one of the doctors involved with FLCCC. So you know, if we give that link later, it's a great resource. And the reason it's a great resource is there's a section on there that gives a list of doctors in every single state that are willing to prescribe these protocols. And you know, what we really suggest is try to get a hold of us before you become symptomatic with COVID because really once you become symptomatic and then the further down the road you get, the more difficult it is then to eradicate this and to treat it. So really the best thing people can do is kind of have a COVID kit, so to speak, on hand with the appropriate vitamins and with the appropriate medications for initial treatment. If you need further treatment, you can always call us back, but at least have the bare minimum of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, you know, Pepsid, fluvoxamine. These are very simple things that can be prescribed early on before people get sick that can that can prevent them from progressing. Lori, you made that call. And so yes. that's what baffles that's what baffles me here is People don't know. I've had family members say, I don't know where to go, but because I, I do the show, I know guys like you, so I can tell them where to go. Yeah. The average person doesn't have the information that we have. That's why we want everybody to check this out. We're going to take our first break here on The Buff Show and come back. What you've heard is a family tragedy. Now you're going to hear from people in the medical field that are getting pushed back and even fired for decisions that they make based on their expertise and their knowledge. This does not look like America to me. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back on The Buff. A boring website can make your company look really bad. <sighs> Poor rankings on Google, Yahoo, and Bing means your company does not exist to thousands of monthly searchers. I'm not even on the front page. Come out of hiding with JJC Marketing Solutions and get found to more and more new customers every day. At JJC Marketing Solutions, they offer state-of-the-art website creation, Google SEO, PPC campaigns, and social media marketing that makes your company stand out. No need to go with those national companies that only care about you on the first call. JJC Marketing is located right here in Sanford, and the goal is to help businesses like yours succeed. Get better results. Call 321-765-7710 or visit them at jjcmarketingsolutions.com. I'm somebody now! JJC Marketing Solutions. Veritas Tactical. Tactical, a family and law enforcement-owned company where you can get custom-built ARs with purpose-built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Six Hour, Smith & Wesson, and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your Liberty Safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force-on-force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full-time gunsmith on site, Sarah Coding Services, laser engraving and more. Mention The Buff Show and get a $25 discount on courses. You'll find Veritas Tactical at 207 North Goldenrod Road, Suite 200 in Orlando. Contact Veritas Tactical, 407-309-3000. 407-309-3000 and at VeritasTactical.com. Veritas Tactical. 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 
Action Plus Pressure Cleaning is the official pressure washing company of The Buff Show. While Matt's doing the dirty work on the show, Action Plus Pressure Washing has been doing the dirty work for the last 15 years in Central Florida. They use a soft wash system to clean pool enclosures, driveways, pool decks, houses, and commercial property. They even clean large and small parking lots and buildings. Wow! Action Plus offers other services such as lawn maintenance, one-time service to weekly service, mowing, weeding, edging, and trimming, and hauling away debris. You can get more than one service, and they offer bundle pricing. Check out their weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly services for lawn maintenance and ask about their free standard two-driveway with house wash services. Family-owned and operated, get your free estimate at actionpluspressurecleaning.com or call 386-506-1048. That's 386-506-1048. Action Plus Pressure Cleaning. They aim to please. Since 2012, Cellular Tronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair and electronics repair. We fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. We also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up, back covers are only $120. We have two locations to serve you in Sanford and DeBerry. Visit Cellulartronics.com or call 407 407- 7302-3396. That's cellulartronics.com or 407-302-3396. Welcome back to the Buff Show AM 950 94.9 FM on this very special edition of the show where we are talking about saving America's lives about this American tragedy that we're seeing that you do not hear about the news. You've heard from a family in the first segment, their attorney and a medical professional doctor who has over 20 years of practice experience. They are all staying with us on the show, but there's another side to that coin where it affects the firing and the displacement of medical professionals who've been practicing and studied for most of their lives, adult lives, Went to school for a very long time, learned all the ins and outs of medicine, and now they're being fired, put on the street because of their medical decisions and getting pushed back because of their recommendations. Let's start with Zane Fields, ICU nurse. Zane, how are you today? Welcome to the Buff Show. Thank you, Mr. Buff. I appreciate the opportunity on being on the show. Very grateful. Last two years working, um, as I said, I work in intensive care. I have seen the dissolution of medical choice i have seen um what we call science i I would not call this safe or effect medicine as um you know two years ago when we were first learning about all this we were using a combination of vitamins azithromycin and hydroxychloroquine very simple and um the results that we had, I was relatively satisfied. You know, most people did not end up getting ventilated, and the people did end up coming to our IU on mechanical ventilation. I would be very comfortable with saying about three fourths of them ended up living, and a lot of them ended up not even getting trained. But it took them a long time to recover. But around the time of when I think this would have been 2020, Anthony Fauci comes out, endorses a, decides that one person did well on remdesivir and that this is, this is an encouraging sign. You look back at the studies with remdesivir, 
for the first one from Gilead Sciences, which Fauci has financial ties with that, that should be a conflict of interest. The Gilead Science Studies, they're the manufacturer of remdesivir, like Dr. Michael, I mean, Dr. Upuse had cited, in the study, more than almost 25%, so one fourth of people, ended up going into renal failure, mods, had to be discontinued on it, acute kidney. I would say in real life, probably a little bit more than that, probably like in the 30th percentile range. But regardless, you know, not an effective drug, clearly seen to severely harm people and enhance the illness and enhance mortality and lengthen hospital stay. The other trial that Anthony Fauci endorsed, the drug was pulled six months early because it killed 53.1% of the ICU patients. And th this is going to be the gold standard that we're going to treat these innocent people with. A worthless drug that is highly ineffective. By the way, in 2019, this wasn't even a drug approved by the FDA at all. Ivermectin's been around for a long time. You know, it's a Japanese drug. I think they originally developed it to treat like a um, blindness attributed from like a water parasite. But um, very safe, very effective. Less people die taking ivermectin than they do Tylenol. And nobody bats an eye at taking Tylenol. And, um, you know, because of all the negative government influences within the hospital that the hospital succumbs to, and unfortunately the doctors won't stand against it, um, you know, they can't give ivermectin, but I have advocated for families to, um, I've been honest with them about the research and, you know, clinical evidence of what I've seen with remdesivir. And, uh, you know, I, I advocate for them that, you know, they can't, because of the insanity with all this stuff, the government, you know, physicians won't be able to get them the ivermectin in the hospital, but I can ask for other things or help guide the families to ask for other things. And um, the physicians I work with, I'm not going to say their names or anything because I don't want to jeopardize anything with them. But one of the guys I work with believes in ivermectin, wants to give it, will give it if, um, you know, the headhunters didn't come after him for giving it. But regardless, the mortality rates that I've seen in the hospital since we switched to all the government mandated, you know, one one size fits all for all these unique people i would be very comfortable and i swear on my life the people that come to our icu now and it's not just where i work this is all across the country so i'm not particularly bad mouthing my employer or anything this is just government mandated issues with healthcare. i would say over 90 percent of people very comfortable saying this unfortunately die receiving this combination and the whole thing is just designed to fail like um when we bought all the drug we bought all the remdesivir of the united states in 2020 we were we became the leading country in deaths related to this preventable illness in that year and you had the society um like the dialysis societies for nephrologists and all that coming out and the number one cause saying that was making people die was all these people were going into kidney failure. And then all the studies are saying all the virus attacks the kidneys, yada, yada, yada. And over half the people had no previous history of kidney disease. Well, it wasn't the virus. It's fuck. It's this remdesivir. It's enhancing illness. Because what happens is, you know, 
these hospitals, they get lots of free goodies financially from the government. They, you know, they do a free test because they want to test everybody in the ER. I mean, the CDC on um, the end of last year admitted that the PCR test does not distinguish between this and influenza, which would also explain why last year magically every flu case just disappeared and they are all corona. Then you got to get into discussion is were we mistreating people with bacterial pneumonia and, you know, influenzas with the wrong type of treatments. Um, so hospitals give uh, tests in the ER. Then they get a bonus payment if they diagnose you. I believe it's 13000 in the ER. Then if they admit you, more bonus money. And then if you get the diagnosis of the pneumonia, which give remdesivir, high, well, moderate likelihood that your kidneys are going to be in trouble. Once the kidneys fail, all this fluid begins to get released. And this fluid will start building up in the interstitial spaces. You'll start getting edematous. It will back up to the heart and then the lungs. And then when you start getting that interstitial edema, it gets very hard to breathe. So there's your COVID pneumonia on your x-rays. Then since there's more water and fluids, much more tense, the lungs get stiff. These people need more and more oxygen and get the pressure or the non-invasive ventilatory support with BiPAPs. And then that ends up adding more physiological stress to these people. And they end up getting ventilated, which then that's your 39,000. Then they get more remdesivir if their organs, liver, and kidneys can handle it. And unfortunately, you know, they end up on a vent, high pressures, high peak, then causing barotrauma. It's just rinse and repeat. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's really, it's really sad. Like it's, it's at this point when they call it science, it's not science. If, if anything, this is like design failure, eugenics, if you want to call it in some sort of way. But it's um, very disturbing. I've been speaking out at my hospital. By the graces of God, I've kept my job. Um, but it, it has been a battle. And it has been disturbing and very disheartening. And, you know, I've been speaking out about it. And, you know, I'll let Donna get into what happened with her. But, um, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I don't think I would have ever really got to know Donna the way I have or met Lori. Um, eventually, I'll get to meet Dr. Upuse. I always get stuck on the weekend at work. But, you know, this has really led me in the avenue where I've wanted to go to speak out with this because I constantly read. I constantly research. You know, I try to advocate for families wake people up that I work with, but, you know, somebody had brought up the mass psychosis. You know, you have people that are just so far gone. I, I say living in the matrix where, you know, you can show them hard, irrefutable facts, evidence, research, data. doesn't matter. They won't snap out of it. Not until something affects them or the boots come crashing down on their necks. Then will they fully understand the magnitude of what we're living through. Then you get in the topic of the vaccine, well, gene therapy with these shots. And um, you, you look at previous literature at what happened with prior SARS coronavirus injections, vaccinations, and you see enhancement of prior disease by the vaccinations. Um, then you start looking into where you have the destruction of the immune system. You know, Dr. Ryan Cole has talked a lot about this. CD8 lymphocytes are basically slowly 
diminishing into nothing. So these people have no innate immunity. So over time, without the CD8 killer T cells, they're not going to be able to fight off bacterias, viruses, or in terms of regulation of their own body, getting rid of abnormal cellular growth. So you're seeing diagnostic centers like cold diagnostics report like 20% increases in endometrial cancers and these other cancers. And then, the, you know, in the UK, you see all these people getting sick with the virus again, or flu, or just regular colds that are just steamrolling them into oblivion because they have no functional to fight for this. And, you know, if you look at previous literature, you know, these animals, well, let's just say it didn't work out very good for them. Humans have much more complex immune systems by God's design, much more durable. And I think the effects of this are going to take a little bit longer. But, you know, if you look at the children, if you look at athletes killing over now, at some point here, it will be undeniable that there's something clearly wrong. And once it starts affecting a lot of these people, they will no longer be able to deny that the sins and the violations that have been enacted upon them. We're in a unfolding train wreck with this. It's very sad. Very. I have read that, uh, uh, Zane, I've read that in Florida, a hospital that has someone go through this entire protocol through the death of uh, that patient winds up getting $132,000 in government subsidies. Could that possibly be true? It's at, at least, Mr. Ron, at least it's $100,000 of free goodies from the federal government, minimum. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more. I, I, I read something, and I, I don't want to be 100% correct on this, but they charged the patients three grand, maybe a little bit more for the remdesivir, but from Medicaid and Medicare services, they end up receiving like 20 grand in reimbursement for the drug, which obviously you can see that there's a clear financial incentive to use a inferior medicine that will highly likely prolong your hospital stay. There's another thing I saw. Um, I was saying like over 90% of deaths in the hospital with this, or I should rephrase that, over 90% of these Coronavirus deaths occur in the hospital. If that should be a red flag. And, you know, I've met a lot of patients because being in the ICU, I get floated all over the place. So it gives me an opportunity to speak with a lot of different individuals. And there's a lot of people that are waking up and they are horrified. They don't want to go to the hospital because people go in, not saying my hospital, this is cross country, all over the place. They do not want to go there. Because a lot of people were waking up to these failed treatments, these failed protocols, you know, and, you know, these doctors are beholden to where if they don't submit, then they're going to have all these wackos come after the whole license. Um, and they're not using stuff like FLCC protocols, I think, are very highly effective. Zane, I mean, we're going to have to. And then, we're know, just going to have to. Pause it right there Sorry. for a second, Zane. There's way more to get to with you. I just, time is our enemy here besides big government and the protocols. We have a time issue with the Buff Show. You mentioned Donna earlier. Um, I got to get to her. Donna Lowry, a registered nurse. Tell us about your background um, and tell us what happened. I graduated from nursing school in 1987. Um, I have worked at 
Parish Medical Center in Tinesville, Florida for 31 years. Um, I am an OB nurse. I'm a lactation counselor. I have followed the FLCCC Alliance since the beginning. Um, I have read, I have spoke to people. Um, so moving on um, through COVID early on, I have just prayed and asked the Lord to reveal truth. Um, the government level, the local level, because um, I know his hand, his hand is over everything. And um, the truth will be revealed and, and, and little bits and pieces now are the chopping block. So anyway, um, September 9th, I believe it was, um, September 5th, actually, on a Sunday, I was floated, like Zane was referring to. Um, if your department doesn't have enough census, then the uh, supervisor will float you, send you to another unit to help. And that happens often. I'm familiar with the other units and, and help. I was sent to this floor um, helping the charge nurse. Uh, co-worker's mother was a patient on the floor, COVID, was not doing well. The hospital hospitalist that was seeing the patient told the family member, if your mother does not improve over the next few days, you will need to make a decision about the ventilator. She was very upset. Um, we, uh, myself, the charge nurse and another nurse that came in to relieve the charge nurse, we went to comfort her. And I asked her if her mother had been on ivermectin and she said, no. I told her about the FLCCC Alliance. I told her about my own twin sister and her husband my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law had all just recovered very well with COVID following the protocol. There are uh, practitioners that will prescribe that are doing the right thing locally here. There are uh, local compounding pharmacies that will fill. And um, I told her about NIH.gov. If you go to that website, NIH.gov, especially at the time that my incident occurred, Number one listed antiviral was remdesivir, along with the long list of adverse effects. At that time, the number two listed antiviral was, was ivermectin, and it did not have the long list of adverse effects. Actually, under adverse effects, NIH.gov website said generally tolerated well. After speaking to this uh, coworker, she said she wanted her mother to have ivermectin. She was too upset to speak to the doctors herself. And um, when, I, when I go to work, my time from home to work, I spend in prayer and I ask the Lord to use me and put me where he'd have me to be. I know it was his perfect plan to have me there, to have me walk up to that nurse's station at that given moment to see that coworker crying. I asked her if she believed in Jesus and she said, yes. I asked the other nurses if they believed in Jesus and they said, yes. And I said, before I go and speak to anybody, we are going to pray. We are going to ask the Lord to prepare the hearts of those that I'm going to speak to. We prayed over those doctors. We prayed over the ivermectin. We prayed over her mom. I went and I saw the hospitalist in the hallway. I told him who I was. I asked about the ivermectin. He said, yes, we used it in my previous hospital. He said, it doesn't always work. I don't even know if we have it here. I said, I will be happy to call the pharmacy. 
I called the pharmacy, the pharmacist answered the phone. I said, do we have ivermectin? And she said, yes, but it does not work for COVID. I said, it does work for COVID. My family members have done well. And she said, again, it does not work for COVID. I said, it does. And then she informed me that even if the hospitalist okayed it, I would have to go and speak to the intensivist. I said, okay. So I went back to the girls. I asked um, one of the nurses to come with me because I wanted a witness in this conversation. We went down to ICU. The intensivist was there. You know, hello, girls. What's going on? I said, Dr. So-and-so, can we have a private word with you for a moment? We stepped into a med room. I worked with him for many years. Um, I told him that I was there representing so-and-so family and, and this coworker, and she would like ivermectin for her mom. The hospitalist said, okay. He said, well, you have to okay it with the pharmacy. I said, well, sir, I spoke to the pharmacy and they said, it's up to you. So I immediately got the pharmacy on the phone and he said, yes, 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 she can have it. It's okay, it's okay. So I'm thinking in my mind that now Parish Medical Center is gonna change the way I was so full of joy because I thought we're going to start doing the right thing and patients are going to get treatment and patients are going to go from the hospital to home, not the hospital to the funeral home. I was excited and I was proud to work for Parish Medical Center. I honor these two doctors because they are heroes because in that moment, they did the right thing. I went back and spoke with the, with the family member. I said, your mom's going to get ivermectin. And she did that day at three o'clock. That's on a Sunday. I, I worked two days a week. I went back that Thursday after my 12 hour shift. I clocked out. I saw the coworker standing outside her mom's room because it's uh, through the double doors from our unit. How's your mom? She said, well, she had to go and bypass. And I'm thinking that her mom had been getting ivermectin every day. And I said, well, Maybe she needs another round. That's all I said. It was just a conversation from me to the, to the family member. And um, I get a text. She's going to get another round. I'm thinking she's, she's on ivermectin. That was on a Thursday. On a Friday, I get a call from my manager, who is an amazing, amazing woman. She prays for us every day. And she said, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, you're so, so serious. I said, what, am I getting fired or something? And I had no clue what this was about. And she said, um, Edwin Lofton, who is the chief nursing officer at Parish Medical Center, had the, the nurse under him notify her and tell her that I was being suspended. And uh, so, of course, I was upset. Um, Parish Medical Center was my mission field. I, um, I felt called. I thought I would retire from that hospital. There are some amazing care partners there. There are some amazing doctors and nurses in every department. Um, amazing. I, I, I loved my care partners. I loved my coworkers. That was on a Friday. And then on a Sunday night, she calls me and, and she's crying. And she says, Donna, they want you to turn your badge in Monday morning. I was devastated. Uh, for two weeks, I, I mourned the loss of that job. They also cited that um, they were going to notify the Department of Health and ACA because they wanted my nursing license removed because I advocated for a patient for the treatment of COVID with ivermectin. And in so doing so, they said that I could have um, caused 
harm or death to a patient. Now, um, I know that I was called into this because that's where the Lord had me that day. And I've given him my license. And when I hear about these doctors that have been fired and these doctors who are fighting for their license, we were listening to, um, I listened to Dr. Corey, I listened to Dr. Merrick and Dr. McCullough and Dr. Cole. And also there's a doctor in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Dr. Robert Jackson. I told my husband, the fact that I'm in this group, even though I'm just a nurse, but I'm in this group that's willing to stand for truth in love. I am not angry at the CEO, George Mkhitaryan. I am not angry at Edwin Lofton. I pray for them. I pray that the Lord will reveal truth to their heart, that they will come under conviction. This isn't about, um, this isn't about getting back or being angry. This is about moving forward and going where the Lord sends me and telling the truth any way that I can. Since I've been terminated, there have been so many family and friends and, and people that I have come across through this COVID. What can we do? And now that I know a network of doctors, Dr. Uphughes, um, a network of nurse practitioners in the state of Florida that are willing to prescribe through telehealth, and, and we have a network of pharmacists, West Cocoa Pharmacy, um, there's a pharmacy in Merritt Island. These people want to do the right thing. They want people to stay alive and to do well. My husband, he's eight days out on COVID. We followed the FLCCC protocol. He has done amazing. I haven't gotten COVID. The Lord has, has blessed me. Um, Dr. Robert Jackson said this to me when I first called him. He said, Donna, you and I, Dr. Uphughes, Dr. Mueller, FLCCC Alliance, all these doctors, Zane, the Lord prepared us for this moment at the very beginning of our careers for such a time as this. I am ready to fight the good fight and I am ready to continue to tell the truth and I wanna go where the Lord sends me. Matt, I think you're on mute. Yeah, yeah. Donna Lowry, that is absolutely amazing. What an amazing story. Um, it's it's too bad we have to end the show that way. I want to go right back to the very beginning, Lori. We got less than a minute. Um, look at all these people that you can rely on now in a yes. time of grief, yes. and this network that's being built around the country. In yes. 30 seconds, finish us finish the show for us. So I just want to encourage families to stand firm, fight for their loved ones in the hospitals, get with Beth Perlato and Ralph, and they will help you and get with Dr. Uphughes and the FLCC Alliance Network. I want to let people know that uh, we have a medical freedom coalition that's formed where we're going to be issuing affidavits on a phone app um, that's going to be coming out. So immediately you'll be able to upload that. I also want to mention um, there's a law that provides blanket immunity. Uh, to the hospitals for, and doctors for any COVID diagnosis. So we need to get with our legislators, call all your state legislators, call Congress, let them know that we need to revoke these laws and they will not stand. And we need to improve the right to try laws. Um, Beth and, and Ralph had said, we need to include language in there for all illnesses and pandemics. So we need to really do this through public outcry and uh, working with our legislators. So thank you for this opportunity. You're welcome. This is part one, Lori. We got much more to go. Uh, yes. Beth, you're working on that from the legal end? 
Well, we are. And it's not only um, it's not only in the legislatures where you have to uh, beef up those right to try laws. Not all the states have them. Uh, you know, New York, I'm in New York. We don't have a right to try law, so we can't even use it. But unfortunately, most of the states, the right to try is for um, the, the ivermectin protocol, the, the uh, COVID protocol. It doesn't exactly fit. So we have a very difficult time winning on that. Um, so as Lori said, you know, call your legislators. We need to do something. This is a this is actually criminal what's going on in our country. And all of these deaths, I truly believe, can be prevented because we see it. The patients that get the treatment protocol that the doctors that we're talking about live, they live. The patients that don't get it, they die. And that's the reality. And that's the reality we're fighting. And, and again, even on the legal standpoint, uh, other lawyers, they think we're crazy. They don't want to help us. They think that we're conspiracy theorists and we show them the evidence. We show them the evidence. We show them the studies yeah. and they don't want to listen. So yeah, that's right. Well, we need this new front line of doctors, Dr. Michael Uphughes and all your colleagues and everything. Donna, Zane, thank you guys so much for joining us on the show. Beth, you're exactly right. I hate cutting off an attorney because I know I'm going to pay for that later, but <laughs> I have to because of time. Thank you so much, everybody, for checking thank out the Buff you. Show tonight with these medical and legal professionals. We're going to do this more and more. Now that you've heard their stories, next time we're going to get down into how to fix this. Well, I'm your buddy, check it and see. Ain't no experimental vaccines in me.